when you can't come up with another name, when you don't know how to pray, when life seems to be overwhelming, trouble seems to come without end, that name, just speak that name, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus. When you're struggling in your marriage, when the kids seem to be just not turning out like you hoped they'd turn out, there's one name. That has the power to bring, bring peace to your soul, help you to realize I'm not going to die right here. It seems like I may die right here, but I'm not going to die here. Jesus, the name that's above every other name. I just, I'm going to tell you, don't, 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 don't spend your time trying to figure out what denomination you're going to be. You know, bigger than Baptist, bigger than Catholic, bigger than Pentecostal, bigger than name it. Jesus, I want to be a follower of Jesus. Wherever that takes me, whatever that looks like, whoever that puts me with, Jesus. I want to be around folks who love Jesus, care about him, and want their lives to count for him. Amen. Amen. Glad you're here today. Appreciate all you fathers, instead of being out in a bass boat somewhere or in your kitchen eating your own tub of bluebell ice cream out, right out of the bucket with your spoon. Thank you that you decided to maybe put those things off for a little later and be in the house of the Lord this morning. God bless you. God bless you. Back in 1707, there was a man by the name of Isaac Watts came to be the, become the poet laureate of a movement in 18th century England that was known by the name of eventually the Wesleyan Revival, John and Charles Wesley and a young 24-year-old preacher by the name of George Whitfield number of others, they were kind of renegades, they were firebrands, they, they wouldn't allow them to preach in the churches even though they were Church of England men, Church of England educated. But they just believed that, that there was a, a crisis encounter with the living Jesus Christ that could make a difference in a life. They literally believed that Jesus was serious when he said, but you must be born again. You must be born again. It's more than sitting in a church pew. It's more than giving money to the church. It's more than going through catechism. It's more than knowing the songs of the church. It's about an encounter with the living Jesus Christ. And you open your heart up to him and receive him into your life. And the power of God can change you. The love of God forgives you. 
years before that broke out in the 1730s and 40s in England, there was a preacher named Isaac Watts who among many other songs that he wrote and poems that he wrote, this was one of them. Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die, would he devote that sacred head for a sinner such as I? Was it for crimes that I have done? He groaned upon the tree. Amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. Well might the sun in darkness hide and shut its glories in. When Christ, the mighty maker, died for man, the creature's sin. Thus might I hide my blushing face while his dear cross appears. Dissolve my heart in thankfulness and melt my heart to tears. But drops of tears can ne'er repay the debt of love I owe. Here, Lord, I give myself away. Tis all that I can do. I want you to go back with me to this third verse. And I want to read it through again. And then I want to ask you to repeat with me two lines from this verse as we begin today. Well might the sun in darkness hide and shut its glories in. When Christ, the mighty maker, died for man, the creature's sin. Now, will you repeat that last part with me? When Christ, the mighty maker, died. I can't hear you. For man, the creature's sin. Let's try that again. When Christ, the mighty maker, died. For man, the creature's sin. One more time. When Christ, the mighty maker, died for man, the creature's sin. We started last week talking about and answering this question. So who wins? Who wins in this scheme of things? Who, who wins ultimately? Who wins? Who is ultimately responsible for the outcome, in charge of the outcome? And we spent a good bit of time in John chapter 1 and in Genesis chapter 1, trying to 
establish, make clear for our understanding that when you read the Bible with the New Testament, the coming of Jesus as your lens, and you look back at the Old Testament, when Genesis chapter 1 begins with in the beginning God, and John chapter 1 begins in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, it is incumbent upon us, it is important for us to realize that the agent of creation, the one who stepped out on nothing, looked into the midnight of the universe and said, let there be light, and the lights came on. The one who did that was not God in general. The one who did that was Jesus Christ himself. In John chapter 1, and I wish you would just go ahead and turn there. Your Bible may just fall open to that passage. We seem to visit this spot so often. These words, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Another name for Jesus is that four-letter word, Word, the Word, the Word. It doesn't just mean the alphabet, words spelled from an alphabet. It means at its core, reasoning. And from reasoning, from the place of reason, will come expressions of that reason expressed in words, spoken words. But in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by Him, by means of Him. And apart from him, apart from Jesus Christ, apart from Jesus Christ, nothing came into being that has come into being. That means everything visible as well as everything invisible. Even Lucifer, even Satan himself, even all the forces of darkness, a third of the angels fell, two-thirds stayed loyal to heaven, to the throne of heaven, to God Almighty. But even those that have fallen owe their very existence to Jesus Christ. That is why, as we will from time to time say, the filthiest word on the planet, the most vile, despicable, worst name you can use is not God, it's Jesus. Alter the temperature of any room by mentioning, not with meanness erupting from your heart, or judgment coming out of your attitude, but just the mention of his name. And it has a way of smoking out darkness and identifying light in the room. Why is there such a fear of 
having Jesus on a shirt, the name Jesus on a shirt. Why is there such a fear for students to carry a Bible that would have Jesus in the Bible? Why is that so terrifying to darkness? It's because darkness understands the authority, the power of that name. All things came into being by him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Verse 10, he was in the world. He came to the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him, saying that there was an eternity past in the existence of Jesus. He did not just come into being when he was formed as an embryo in the womb of Mary. He he became a child. Prior to that, the invisible creator God, before Bethlehem, before Nazareth, Jesus was. And his eternity future, unlimited, just as much as eternity past. But he came into the world. The world was made through him, and the world did not know him, did not recognize him, did not understand who he was. But then John says, but as many as received him, To them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who would believe in his name. He came into his own, the Jewish people. But by and large, at his first coming, there was not wholesale recognition and acceptance that this is the Messiah, this is the one we've been waiting on. So the message about him was spread beyond the reaches of the Jewish state and throughout the known world at that time, into the Gentile realm of which you and I would find ourselves apart. John would say, but to as many as received him, as many as took him, Jesus, as their very own, to these he gave the right to be called the children of God. I want you to leave the Gospel of John and turn with me over to the book of Philippians. Philippians, Philippians chapter 2. And start with me at verse 5. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Keeping in the back of our mind that phrase from Isaac Watts. When Christ, the mighty maker, died for man, the creature's sin. Here's here's where we're headed with that. You may be sitting in here this morning, and your sense of self-worth is just almost non-existent. Your sense of personal value 
is almost off the charts in the negative direction. And the world around you may be reinforcing what you're thinking, what you're feeling about yourself, that we don't need you, we don't want you, because we don't like you, and because there's nothing about you that would attract us to you. You have little or no value in our eyes. There's little or no worth to who you are. To contrast what we may be feeling and what may be seem to be buttressed by things that are spoken and said around us, for that to be contrasted, folks, with the truth about who you really are. To the Lord Jesus Christ, the lover of your soul, your Redeemer, your Redeemer. Now back again to Philippians 2, 5. Have this attitude in yourselves, Paul says, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and those who are on the earth and those who are under the earth, hell itself, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Look again at verse 6, who although Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. Didn't regard equality with God as something to be held on to, something to be clung to, the position, the authority the recognition, the, the, the traits of being able to be everywhere at the same time, being able to know everything there is to know before it's ever known as well as what has already been known. He emptied himself, didn't hang on to those things, and it says that he took upon himself the form of a bond servant instead of the master and Lord of all, the one to whom nobody could tell him anything to do that he didn't want to do. But he divests himself, empties himself of all of those prerogatives and instead, in blatant and direct contrast to that unlimited position of authority and rule, 
He now takes upon himself the form of a man. And not just any man, but a man who is a servant, a bond servant, even if it can be translated even slave. Took upon himself the form of a bond servant, being made in the likeness of men, limited in knowledge, limited in presence, one body, one place, one time. Limited in authority and on and on. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He wasn't just humbled to leave all of heaven and everything that he had there and who he was there and to take upon himself the form of a man. But beyond that, it was a man who was going to be put to death. And it wasn't just any kind of death. It was a death on a Roman cross. One of the most vicious and cruel experiments and execution that humanity has ever experienced. Didn't hang on to all of God that he was, all of those prerogatives. Divested himself of those things. Came in the form of a man, born of Mary, as a child, grew up into a man, and then as a man, gave himself to be put to death, but not just any death, a bloody, cruel, Roman cross death. Now here's the $64,000 question for folks who would dare to ask, why? Why would Christ, the mighty maker, die? For man, the creature's sin. Well, since you brought that up, let's see if we can find an answer to that question. Find Ephesians chapter 1. Turn back from Philippians to the left a little bit, a few pages, Ephesians chapter 1. Paul writing again, and in verse 3, chapter 1, Ephesians, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now look at this. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us, Now find your way, if you would, 
Back to verse 4. Look at verse 4 again. Just as he chose us in him. Chosen. See, writing to the church, writing to Christians, writing to those who have, who have received Jesus as Savior and Lord and are able to, with a new set of ears and eyes, understand what in the world is going on with my life. Before I ever knew it, the Scripture says, the Lord chose me. Before, before you ever knew it, before it ever dawned on you or me that we need to turn our lives over to Christ, before we had ever repented of one sin, before we'd ever been baptized, before we'd ever sung amazing grace, before we'd ever done anything, we were chosen. We've been cho- Let me tell you something. God chooses what he delights in. The Lord chooses something that's valuable to him. The Lord chooses somebody who in his heart is worth something to him. You may not feel like you're worth anything to anybody else, but in Jesus Christ, you are worth everything to the one who gave his life for you. Chosen in him, But then it goes on to say that we've been predestined to be adopted as sons, as children. Predestined to be adopted. Predestined. What's that? That means ahead of time. That means way back yonder. You had nothing to do with the predestination of becoming sons or becoming children. That was God's choosing and God's setting in motion a plan to draw you unto himself because he doesn't want you at arm's length. He doesn't want us away from him. The whole predestined, you could say, well, he predestined us to be servants. He predestined us to be employees of the church or he predestined us to be um, citizens of a country. No, he predestined us to be a member of his immediate family. Now listen, all of this, you understand, this choosing and this desire to set in motion a plan to draw a world that's distanced from him to himself, this this was all set in motion. This was all being thought about before Jesus ever came, before he was ever born to Mary, before he ever went to the cross. So why was he going to the cross when Christ, the mighty maker, died for man, the creature's sin? Why? Why? Look at verse 7. In him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. I want to ask you to just right now, just close your eyes. If you're a child of the Lord, if you'd come to, and I want you, would you just pray this little quick prayer? Lord, will you help me to hear what you're saying to me? Lord, will you help me to get this? Will you take this 18 inches from the hearing of the ear to the believing and the receiving of my heart? 
in him we have redemption. In him, in Christ, we have redemption. Well, what in the world does redemption mean? Here's what it means. It means to release someone from a bondage, from an imprisonment, from an obligation on the payment of a ransom. To release on payment of a ransom. To release on payment of a ransom. We have redemption through his blood. Get this. Here's the law, consistent, old and new. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. The only thing that covers sin, the only thing that can destroy sin, the only thing that can cause the grip and the power of sin to be broken in a life is blood. Not flipping God a quarter at a charitable event. Not determining that I'm just going to be nicer and my nice stuff is going to outweigh my bad attitude and therefore the two. If, if that was possible, folks, listen, get this, please. If it was possible for there to be any other way than the blood of Jesus poured out and spilled to destroy sin, to break its power in our lives, if there was any other way, then the cross of Jesus Christ was the greatest waste the greatest tragedy because it would have been of no effect in all the human race. One way, one way only for your sins and my sins to be lifted off of our account for the guilt and the shame to be taken. One way, one way only the blood of Jesus Christ. We can copy good people and we can say, I'm not going to do that anymore or I wish I hadn't hurt you so bad. We can do all of those things and they're dancing around the only remedy. Just the blood. Just the blood. Just the blood of Jesus. Why? 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 Because Jesus, Paul is saying here, in him we have release from the prison of our sins, from the shame of our, we have redemption upon the payment of a ransom. The payment of the ransom was the death of Jesus Christ. The ransom was the death of Jesus Christ. That's why the apostle Paul would say, I glory in the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, there's a Pharisee. He knew the Bible backwards and forwards. He, he would say at, at one point, according to the righteousness is found in the law, I'm blameless. But what I've come to understand is that I'm a sinner still, and yet, and in my flesh dwells no good thing, Paul would say. But I glory in the cross of Jesus because the cross of Jesus is my ransom. The cross of Jesus is where my freedom was bought. 
It's where I can go on from here. I don't have to live like I have lived. There's freedom, release. My sins have been destroyed. In him we have redemption through his blood. I have received, and here's a question. I'm not, it doesn't matter when you were baptized. It doesn't matter who your mother was. It doesn't matter how good an American how, or how much you serve your country. And great, nothing wrong with that. But as far as having one speck of a power to get you from Bear County to heaven when you die, to trust in anything other than the shed blood of Jesus Christ for my sin is to put my faith in something that the Bible already says it won't get you out of Texas. And it won't lift the gift, guilt. It won't deliver you from shame. Shame, the guilt. But when it said, I want you to know this, the meaning of this word, the forgiveness of our trespass. Through him, we have redemption in his blood, through his blood, which is the forgiveness of our trespasses. Trespasses meaning we missed the target. We, 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 we shot high and to the right, low and to the left. We, we didn't even, it didn't even come out of the gun barrel. It was, we, we, we missed we miss God's standards. But to have forgiveness of that, it means two things. It means sin is destroyed. It means the, it means the, the entity, what, what was done that was a trespass, what was done that was wrong in the sight of God, it's been, it's been destroyed. It, it doesn't exist anymore in the mind of God. But then secondly, Forgiveness carries with the idea that the power of that sin to hold you to repeated behavior in the same way that the power of that sin to hold you has been broken. Let me tell you. And around this place, I don't think there's any sin literally very few, if any, remain on the list. In the Alamo City family that hadn't at one time or another been a part of the lives of those who call this church family their home. And you look back 15 years in our lives, you look back five years, you look back five months in some cases, and the only way that we're not still doing the same stuff we were doing then is the power of God has destroyed the power to keep me trapped in that sin. It wasn't about trying harder. It wasn't about a new group of friends. It wasn't about anything other than I have received the forgiveness that comes on the basis of my receiving the ransom. The ransom of the death of Jesus in my place paying for me to be free. If he hadn't paid it, I'd still be bound. And what was the price that he paid? When Christ, the mighty maker, died. Hallelujah. 
for man the creature's sin. There had to be a death. There had to be blood in the death, i.e. the Roman cross. And on the basis of that, your ransom has been paid. But here's another part of that word for redemption. It means ones who have received the ransom. It's it's the ones who are released on the payment of a ransom, but it is those who have received the payment of the ransom. In other words, millions of people could have the potential to be a part of, to step into the place of freedom the place of shame being removed and and, and guilt being gone and, and, and sins being destroyed. Millions, if not billions of people, it's available. But only the ones who receive it get the benefit of it. You know, the thought, well, everybody's gonna die and go to heaven. God is love, so there can't be a hell. Think again. Think again. For God so loved the world, all world, that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus speaking these words, John 3.16. Whoever believes in him, whoever accepts him, would not perish, but would have everlasting unending life. God's already shown the expression of his perfect love to ones who cussed his name and mocked his existence and have determined, I don't want anything to do with God even if there is a God, like many of us have walked in years gone by. Then the scripture will say, but along comes a time when we begin to find our hearts strangely warmed, as the Wesley brothers talk about, for some reason pulled in a direction, maybe asking questions, or maybe, maybe, maybe I've been wrong about God and wrong about the consequences of my life's choices. And we began to have those stirrings that open us up to the very things that we were so close to before. Now, who's, who's doing that? Am I searching for God? Or has God been searching for me? How, how are you going to find somebody you can't see? The scripture will say that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And in our place of moral poverty, 
in our place where our world may be shaken, ground moving beneath our feet, things coming loose that we thought never would come loose, but they did. And we find ourselves in a place of searching, in a place of hungering, in a place of being thirsty. And in that place, then the message that we're talking about this morning can sound so good. I'm not trying to convince the world I'm great anymore. I already know I'm a loser. (laughs) I already know that there aren't reasons for folks to be drawn to me because of what I can do for them. Been to the end of that road. But what I know is that I'm broken. And there's some things that I'm ashamed of that I could wish I could go back and fix, but can't fix. But how do I live? How do I go forward with these things that have defined my life before? Oh, brothers and sisters, the ransom, the ransom. Jesus, the Christ, loved you saw you were coming, chose you before you ever knew anything about him. And in order for there to be the rest of your destiny with the Father, with the Lord in your life and his plan for you, for that to be unveiled, a ransom has to be paid to set you free from the prison of sin that you've been living in. So I'm not calling it sin. I'm like, well, then just stay in your prison. Well, I'm not going to call it that. I'm going to go, well, fine. Fine. How's that working for you? Huh? But if we call it what God calls it. And he said all have sinned. Mother Teresa, the Pope, Paul, Abraham, pick, pick them. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What's eternal life? Unending, unending, overflowing, life-giving, refreshing, joy-filled, freedom-giving life. The Redeemer is the one who pays your ransom. To be one of the redeemed is to be one who has accepted the ransom of Jesus Christ. His death on the cross, his blood shed for your freedom. I know some people did well. Listen, this says that preacher up there spitting and slinging sweat and stomping his feet, and that's just for preacher kind of people. Let me tell you something. Oh my goodness! If the folks in this room could stand up and just say, "Let me tell you what I was. Let me tell you how long I was it. Let me tell you who all I did it with and where they are. Most of them dead and gone. But somewhere along the way, this Jesus that man's hollered about." rescued me 
His ransom is real. The power of his blood is real. And he has the power to set captives free. To set captives free. It's not about imprisoning us. It's not about restricting us or restraining us. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it super abundantly. It's the devil who lies. Oh, this is real life. This is real life. And you puke your guts out the next morning. You, 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 you chew yourself up with syringes. And, and, and you got losers that you hang around with. Losers trying to tell you how to win. And we call that freedom. For the Lord is. The Lord is the Spirit. Jesus is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That's freedom. <laughs> Man. 1707, alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for a sinner such as I? Was it for crimes that I have done? He groaned upon the tree. Amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. Well, might the sun and darkness hide and shut its glories in when Christ, the mighty maker, died for man, the creature's sin. So have you received your ransom? Mama can't do it for you. The United States of America can't do it for you. Only you. I receive you, Jesus. I receive you, Jesus. I receive you, Jesus, the single most important and powerful expression from your heart toward heaven that you will ever, ever pray. Chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. He chose you. He made you. He knows how you're wired. He knows how to bless you. He knows how to thrill you. He knows how to use you in mighty ways. I'm redeemed because I've received the ransom. I've received my ransom. A glory in the cross, that's Paul's, a glory in the cross, a glory in it, a glory in my ransom. Nobody else has the power to set me free like Jesus has the power.
to set a person free. So for those of you who are listening in this room and wherever else you may be hearing this, here's your question. Have you received your ransom? Have you received your ransom? Has nothing to do with a church building or a denomination within Christianity. Nothing to do, nothing to do with it. Find, find Baptist church in the Bible. Find Anglican church. Give me the chapter and verse. Give me Presbyterian. Give me Pentecostal. Give me Catholic. Find it in the Bible. You don't find it in the Bible. What you find is Jesus saying, whosoever will may come. Whosoever will may come. There is no other name given among men, Peter preached, whereby we must be saved. Jesus. When we say Jesus, that is synonymous with the ransom, his death on the cross, his shed blood to set me free. set me free. You, you, you get somebody who has been set free and you try to convince them to go back to bondage and they will look at you like a calf looking at a new gate. That what are you even talking about? The freedom that is in Christ compared to the bondage of a life of sin. No comparison. So, Lord, take me on. Take us further. Take us the rest of the way. What I was chosen for, that part of the family, that place at the table, that closeness with you, Lord, that you intend for me to enjoy. Take me there.